Hey, this is Brian McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on alscoop.com. Everybody. Welcome back to the Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. This is season six, episode 35. I am John DiCarlo, joined once again by Sam Cohen and Sam Newman. Kyle Gauss is off this week. Really excited about this week's episode to bring to all of you because Temple head coach Aaron McKee is joining us and has joined us for an exclusive interview that we're really excited to bring to you. We'll, of course, ask Aaron a lot about his current job, which is, you know, being Temple's basketball coach. And uh, he's excited about what the future holds for the Owls after a season that certainly had its struggles due to injuries and COVID. And uh, as we know, it was an atypical season in college basketball. So we'll have a lot of Temple stuff to talk about. But of course, we want to ask him about looking back 20 years ago, the, the Sixers are, they feel they're poised to to get back to the NBA finals for the first time in 20 years since that 2001 team that Aaron was a big part of that really captured the hearts of the city. And Aaron was the NBA sixth man of the year. So we're going to talk to him a lot about that. And I think you'll, you'll enjoy some of the anecdotes that he had about Allen Iverson, you know, how he was a little hesitant to, to come back home at first and uh, just some great details and great storytelling there. Uh, guys, famous 35s. There's the obvious one, Kevin Durant. Yeah. Who else we got? I got three pitchers for you: Justin Verlander, or four yeah. actually, Phil Necro, Mike Musiala, and a uh, famous Philadelphia Philly from recent years. You can guess this one, John? Thirty-five. Yeah. Holiday was thirty-four. Oh, geez, Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels. Yeah. Tommy John, according to the internet. Oh, it's a so thirty-five is a big pitcher's number, I guess. Cole Hamels is still currently out of baseball, right? I think he's a free agent right now. He played with uh, – I don't even know if he pitched for Kyle's Atlanta Braves last year. Maybe the Phillies will bring him home for a reunion when they need some pitching. And he lefty. One more, Chris Kamen, who there's no shot he's still in the league. Played for the Clippers for a yeah, while. Chris Kamen is playing in somewhere in, in uh, South America or, or Europe right now. Good for him. I hope he is. Justin Verlander, uh, did you say him? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I, have no, I have no clue. Sam, did you say Justin Verlander? Yeah. Yogi Berra. I'm, I'm looking at a list. It said Ricky Henderson wore number 35. I don't remember Yogi that. Did Yogi wear like eight or something like that? Uh, yeah, Yogi was that. I guess that was a before later in his career. Yankees purists out there. I apologize for not knowing this. Yogi, I always think of as, as wearing number eight. Ricky Henderson, I always think of as wearing number 24. I don't remember 35 for him at all. But this this website I'm looking at has it says Kevin Durant, but then it's a picture of him wearing number seven. And that's like I feel like you could have just picked a different picture. With Sam, we are we are looking for... at the exact same website for the wonders <laughs> of the internet. <laughs> wow. It was a fascinating tool. We're so colliding here, wow. Yes, yes. Uh, but like I said, without further ado, let's let's get to this interview with Aaron McKee again. I, I think you guys uh, hope you guys will really enjoy this again. A lot of great details here about that. That 2001 team, again, it's been 20 years since he was named the NBA's sixth man of the year. Uh, Aaron reflects upon that time, uh, being here in the city, being part of that team, and then gets into some some really cool details, too, as well, about uh, his Temple basketball team, what to expect from guys like Jaleel White, uh, some of the incoming recruits like Hasir Miller from Newman Gretti, Zach Hicks from Camden Catholic, what to expect from Emmanuel Okpomo, the, the transfer center that they got from Wake Forest. So uh, sit back and listen to this. Hope you guys really enjoy it. 
All right, so as you all know, the Philadelphia 76ers are closing in on clinching the Eastern Conference's number one seed, and they feel they have a shot at getting back to the NBA Finals for the first time since 2001. And unless you've been living under a rock, you all know that current Temple head coach Aaron McKee was a big part of that team. It really captured the hearts of the city and was named the NBA Sixth Man of the Year that season. And we are thrilled to have Aaron with us on the scoop today. Aaron, thanks so much for taking time for us. We really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm 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 good, man. I'm good. It seemed like uh, society is starting to, you know, take a turn and and shaping up to get back to some normalcy. So I'm I'm excited about that part of it. Yeah, I think we all are. It's it's a it's a, it's a pleasure to have you with us today, Aaron. If, if we want to, of course, ask you a lot about what's going on with your current Temple program. I know you have a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the season that's ahead for the Owls. But yeah, we did want to start off by taking a look back 20 years ago to that 2001 team because that was a big moment in your life and, a, and your career and, and for this city. That season was typical of how you approach things. You started the season coming off the bench and then you started at the point when Eric Snow went down with an injury and you wound up starting 33 games. And then you went back to the bench when he came back and, and never made a fuss about it, which is typical, again, of how you do things. You won the league six man of the year award by a pretty wide margin you had 57 first place votes ahead of tim thomas and you were just the second sixer to win that award at the time in the first uh since bobby jones when he did it in 1983 when they won the title that year so we know you're not a big fan of talking about yourself but but you know that award and and that whole season was was really just a memorable time in the sports history so in the city sports history so when you look back at that first of all can you believe it was 20 years ago and when you look back at that what what kind of goes through your mind uh, a, a, a sense of accomplishment. Um, I've always been a team player. It's just how I was taught the game from a little kid. And when I think about all the things that led up to that moment, you know, starting with, well, excuse me, those moments, starting with a dream. You know, I've always visualized myself playing for the 76ers as a kid and winning the NBA title and having a parade down Broad Street. I always visualized those things. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it started with a dream. And I've always been uncomfortable, you know, as you said, just you know, talking about myself. And it's just so many people to thank, you know, for me, you know, receiving that award from, you know, when I was a child. And, my development as a player and as a person leading up to that point. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in the history books, as I like to say, um, it's something that they can't take away. Um, go to the Naismith hall of fame. it will be, um, a replica in there that, that, that you could see that, you know, has my name on it that bears my name. And, you know, it's something that I could share with my kids. My kids don't believe it. You know, it, I'll say stuff to them about, pro basketball and playing with guys and they just look at me, you know, like dad. And that's the amazing thing about, about kids. They don't care. You know what I mean? They just want to, you know, have you around. And for me, my kids play basketball. I'm the rebounder for them. So it's, it's cool to be able to share some of those moments with them. Aaron, another big deal for you, you had consecutive triple doubles in that season on December 30th. You had 19 points, 14 assists, 10 boards against Sacramento. And then a few days later against the Hawks, you had 11 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, you played in almost 800 games in your career, but do you ever, are you as a player, are you able to look back when you played in that many games? Do you, can you isolate in your mind? Do you remember those triple doubles? Do you have moments like that that stand out when you 
you remember that stretch of that season? No, I just I, knew, I just knew we were playing well mm-hmm. at that time. And and when I got that first triple double, it was a big game for us because I believe it was against Sacramento and they were pretty good at the time. And we were doing well in the, on the East Coast and it was a national televised game and we wanted to make a statement. Um, and we went out there and we had a pretty good game. We won the game. I think AI may have hit a big shot down the stretch mm-hmm. of the game. Um, and it was just, it was just a, a big part of us continuing to keep that season moving forward and, and playing well and just showing that we can match up against anybody, you know, in the league. And we went out on the West coast against those guys and we did well. It was a national televised game. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, along with loving, uh, Allen Iverson to start with, they started to really fall in love with our team. So Aaron, in December of 1997, Larry Brown decides the 76ers backcourt just isn't big enough for both Allen Iverson and Jerry Stackhouse. So the team sends him and Eric Montross, the Pistons for you, Theo Ratliff and a future first. I believe you've talked about this before when that trade happened, you had mixed feelings about coming back, right? You weren't really sure what to expect. What do you remember about that move? It's funny. One of my good friends called me like two days before it happened. He was like, yo, man, I heard you might be, you know, coming here to Philly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because when I was in Detroit, I didn't see anything on the news. I didn't really hear about anything. Yeah, man. They was just talking about it on the radio and on television. It might be a trade. That's I'm like, yeah, whatever. And and the day of the trade early in the morning before uh, I'm getting up and, and getting ready to go to practice. I get a phone call. Hey, Aaron, it's been a trade. You're going to Philadelphia. Blah, blah, blah. Go to the airport. It's a plane there for, you know, you and Theo. And I'm just like, oh, no, to Philadelphia. I'm going to my hometown. And, you know, they stink. You know what I mean? And, boy, when you think it's a bad, bad situation that you, you're going to, it's one of the best situations to happen to me basket from a basketball standpoint and from a, a life standpoint because – I didn't really know much about Larry Brown. I knew of him and just him being a coach and a mentor in my life added value to it. Being around Allen Iverson and and Derek Coleman and and some of the other guys that I got the chance to play with when I first um, arrived and, and you could just see the culture starting to shift. I mean, practices were super competitive and guys were getting after it. And, And ironically, Tim Thomas was on the team. Um, at that time when I went there and you could see the direction that the, the organization was going on in. And, and as I got there and started to get more comfortable, I saw the vision. I saw, you know, the, the potential that we had of, of being one of the better teams in the East. Aaron, in each of those next two seasons, your numbers started to improve and, and the team started to improve as, as you built up to that 2001 season. What, what started the click for you and, and the team? Well, I thought guys just bought into their roles. It was it was real simple. You know, AI was our guy and we 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 had to make sure, you know, we we took care of him and and he took care of us and you know, we were really good uh defensively. We were always, you know, one of the top teams defensively and we had fun and we we played together. We shared the game of basketball together. There's no better way to be able to play the game than sharing it. And, and we were a selfless group and, and nobody worried about who had this many shots or that many shots. And we just played basketball and we enjoy being around each other. I think that's important. 
the day that you got the six man of the year award, <clears throat> excuse me, both John Cheney and Larry Brown are both there. You said at the time that playing for Larry Brown was like Coach Cheney handed you off to him. And people have talked so much about how you got to play for this lineage of legendary coaches that started back in high school with Simon Grass, of course, with Bill Ellerby, then Cheney, then Larry Brown. And people talk about how similar John Cheney and Larry Brown were. Can you compare and contrast their styles? Like, were they different at all? I don't, I don't want to compare them because their their styles are, are different. I mean, Coach Cheney never coached in the NBA, but Coach Brown coached in college. I think they get they get the most out of their players. They're they're demanding, they're tacticians, and and they demand excellence. And and I think that's a few similarities that I could put um, to tie those to link those guys uh, together. I don't want to just kind of put the two individuals in the same box. I mean, everybody's different. It's like each player, we always use comparisons with uh, current players with former players and say, hey, this, it's, it, it's what reminds you of a current player when you saw somebody in the future. And I don't want to do that to a coach and say, hey, these guys were just alike when they were different. They both were great in their own right. Um, they both got the max out of their players. But I think the biggest thing is is they had a connection with their players, and that's that's so important for you to be able to get the max out of your players. Aaron, again, an, another thing that's nothing new, and people know this by now. And uh, we know that Allen had his ups and downs, but he when he talked about you, he just talks about you in glowing terms. You didn't even have to bring up your name. There's that clip where he says, "Aaron McKee, Aaron McKee." You've talked about this before, but and I've asked you about this before. Why do you think you connected with him and why you resonated with him? He had a lot of teammates, played with a lot of guys. He always goes back to you. Why did you get through to him? Why did you click with him and maybe some other guys didn't? Because it, it's just a, a, another cool storyline, even when people talk about it now. And it's a really remarkable thing because he was such a, a, a monster figure in this, the, you know, in this city sports history. And you really connected with him and he brings you up all the time. What, what made you connect with him? Why do you think you guys were able to have the relationship that you did? Well, I, I, my thoughts on that, I just thought we were so much alike, but so different. Um, when I say so much alike, we, you know, we enjoy cracking jokes, you know, mm -hmm. we enjoy competition. We enjoy playing cards in video games. Um, with each other. And when I say, you know, we were so much alike, but so different, my personality was a little different than his, you know, he, mm -hmm. I'm more, I have a more laid back personality and his personality is a little more, you know, outward. Um, so I thought that was a few things that brought us, but I, I just thought the honesty and the transparency that, that we had with one another and just the conversations we would have um, on the back of the bus or on the plane and just, different things that we we would talk about and, and and those are the things that you miss the most about playing in the NBA and traveling and being with those group of guys is you know you have those intimate moments where you know you're not only playing cards you're not only playing video games but you're sharing life stories you're sharing things with individuals that you probably never share with anyone else and we were able to laugh together we were able to cry together and we were able to you know bear our emotions with one another and, and had no no problem with doing so, you know, when you're playing in professional sports and, you know, everybody view it as, 
you know, these guys are some tough, you know, excuse my language, badasses or whatever. We're emotional as well. And, you know, we, we have a softer side as well. And, and, you know, we like to share those things and be able to, you know, be able to open up and talk about those things. And I help, I think it helps, you know, the individual as you move forward and just feeling comfortable um, with, with telling your truth. And he, I thought he felt comfortable with telling me his truth. And I felt comfortable with telling him my truth. We had nothing to hide with each other. And it was just, it was like that th throughout our team. We just hung out together the most, but it was like that throughout our team. We all spent a, a great amount of time, great deal of time with one another. Aaron, in addition to him being a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest players of all time, you know that he connected with this city in a way that few other people did, maybe like a, a Brian Dawkins, Julius Irving, that type of class. Is there something that that maybe people wouldn't know about Allen that, that you could tell them, what, like a side of him that, that people never got to see? Because, again, like one of the cool things was how that team came together, how he came together with Larry Brown. You were part of that. But is there is there something about Allen – that was maybe a, miscon a misconception or maybe something that people didn't know about him that you did. And you could say, I wish people would know this or had seen this side of Allen. I think, you know, you, when you're that type of person and, and you're a public figure and your life is, is played out through media. Mm -hmm. So every step you take, every move you make, is being watched. And we all have flaws as humans, as individuals, we make mistakes. It's just fortunate for some, they don't have cameras, they don't have people that's around them to, to report the mistakes that they make. And unfortunate for a guy like him, every little thing that he do is being televised. It's being, it's being printed. And so that's the reality. You know, is there some things he probably would take back? I, I would I would guess I would think so. But I don't think he'll change. I don't think if, if he went back, I don't think there would be things that he would change about how he went about things. It's just who he is. And with all of that being said, he's a wonderful person. I think that's the one thing that's misunderstood about him is a lot of his faults come from him having a heart of gold and a big heart and, and caring and, and caring about uh, people you know and that's the one thing that I've always saw with him behind the scenes is his heart and how he cared about people and I just wish people knew that more about him Aaron when you, when you talk to guys either in your program or out in the recruiting show what do you tell them about what it took to not just only get drafted but to kind of stay in the league to get that second contract and and have some longevity in, in the NBA there it takes <clears throat> it takes a little bit of everything I think you you have to have one that it factor I think you have to have the work ethic you have to have the IQ the mindset of it um and I think the biggest thing is luck timing all of those different things you know when I say luck and timing meaning trying to avoid injury as as, as much as possible and success and all of those different things play into individuals being able to play at the highest level. I mean, if you, a guy that's injury prone or you get hurt at the wrong time, it could, it could really hurt your chances. And I think that's important. You know, guys think guys now think just because they play basketball that they can be a pro 
It's not that simple. You know, if you look at these guys now and the guys that's playing at the highest level, not only they are they physically gifted, but they're mentally gifted. These guys know how to play. They can shoot. They can pass. They got these big, long, strong bodies. And, you know, you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your mind. So it's not just showing up and, and your AAU coach tell you you're the best player on the team and he think you could be a pro. That doesn't mean you, you, you're going to be a pro. You got to work for it. And everything has to align along the way. And you have to avoid injury and all of those other things. And you got to be coachable. You know, you got to be a great teammate. All those things factor in. You know, you got to be a character guy, high character guy. You know, no longer are they taking knuckleheads into the league or guys that they feel are not coachable. They rather avoid that because there's so many good basketball players that's out here that they rather take a chance on. And just to switch over to your Temple program now and more specifically on the recruiting front, the newest addition to the team is the is Wake Forest transfer Emmanuel Akpomo, a six foot ten center. So Aaron, a two part question for you. With as crazy as the portal is, can you talk us through how you guys prioritized him and zeroed in on him when things are moving quickly? And what do you see him contributing for you this season and what his potential is? Well, we we identified that that, you know, we we have to get some help. Um, in the interior, especially the, the conference that we play in, it's a, it's a man's league. It's, it's more of a older, mature, big, physical, and, and you got to be able to match that. Um, and, and we feel like, you know, Manuel is a kid that, you know, he's played a year in the ACC and, you know, he didn't play a significant amount of minutes, but we think he has the potential to be able to help us and help us at a high level here in the, in the American Conference at, at Temple University. Um, I think his defense is a little ahead of his offense. Um, great motor, great energy, um, good physicality. We're going to have to put some meat on him a little bit, hit the weights hard in the summertime. And, and I think the one thing that's going to be able to get him on the floor and get significant minutes is his ability to rebound and, and run and defend his position around the basket. And with those minutes that he gets on the floor, you know, he developed throughout the summer. This is a big summer, not only for him, but just for everybody. Develop throughout the summer and, and just get some things that he could do on the offensive end. And, and hopefully his offense catches up to his defense as, as he progressed through, through our program. And your other two recruits, Hasir Miller and Zach Hicks, uh, both had very good senior seasons. Where are they now as players opposed to when they first committed to you prior to their senior seasons? And what do you think they can add for you guys this season, knowing, of course, that you still have to get them in and get a look at them in practice? Yeah, I'm not quite sure where they are as as players. Just just given on the the, the, the fractured season that they that those guys played. But, you know, was it a, 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 a full high school season? Um not that I would have wanted to see. We, we, we have all the confidence in the world that these guys are going to lead us in to the future. Hasir with his, his toughness, he has that Philly grit, and, and he's a really good basketball player. You know, he can, he can play on the ball, he can play off the ball, he can defend his position, and, and I think that's what he's going to bring to the table uh, for us. And, and we're, going, we're expecting him to be a leader for us in the future. So we're excited uh, for him to be joining our program um, and Zach, who's who's long and, and rangy, can shoot the ball, can put it on the floor. He can he can score it. And I think you know people are going to be pleasantly surprised at what the kid can can do. You know he's his build is a little slight, and so we're going to have to put some muscle on him. And and once he starts to get that muscle, 
under him and get his conditioning and everything better, I think he'll be a high-level scorer for us in our program. Aaron, with, with, with Dre and, and JP graduating and moving on, you know, Jaleel White and, and Sage Tolbert kind of enter the rotation. And, um, you know, neither one of those guys played much last season due to the injuries. And uh, Sage got in, of course, in the in the conference tournament for you. With them kind of coming into the, to the mix, how do they change things for you in rotation, in, in the rotation and stylistically on the floor? How do you see that playing out? Yeah. Um... They give us more versatility. I think more athleticism. Um, Sage is a, is a, one of our more exper- experienced guys who had the opportunity to play, and, you know, close to being a, a double double guy. I bring some some physicality. He can play inside. He can play outside. Um, he's going to have to continue to develop uh, through the uh, summer. Jalil was a kid that, you know, we were looking at him as a guy that was going to have to give us some significant minutes, you know, before the season started, you know, based on the way that he was playing. And unfortunately, he got hurt. and He was out for the year. But, you know, he's six, seven, big physical kid can play on the ball and off the ball and can defend at a high level. Really good rebounder, really good out in transition. Um, Sage is a big physical kid six eight can 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 defend multiple positions so those guys are certainly going to add some versatility to what we can do on the defensive end I think we can extend our defense a little bit more trap a little bit more and I want to play a little faster I I I was reluctant to play faster last year because we really didn't have much practice time and and we didn't have much time to prepare and given the starting and stopping our conditioning wasn't great and was just trying to manage games but I want to play a, a you know an up-tempo type of game you know and, and try to control games in that nature. Aaron just a, a quick follow-up I mean Dre and JP graduate and I know they they had their options and I don't want to discount them in this but other than them you guys didn't lose anybody and you kept the roster together at a time where a lot of programs were getting really deeply affected by the portal and you guys had a rough season because of COVID and injuries. And you might have been from the outside looking in a, a, a program where it could have been right for the picking, where like maybe an ACC program tries to get Damian Dunn away, or maybe a Big Ten program tries to get Jeremiah Williams away after the promise he showed. But nobody, you know, nobody really left and you held things together. Is that what does that say to you about the, where the program is right now? Because it, again, it's a crazy time. Did you guys anticipate? that that was going to be the case. Do you ever think we'd be talking about something like this in college basketball? Cause it does seem like a small accomplishment that you were able to kind of hold, hold the culture together when guys were moving all over the place. It's like, it's free agency. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think we, we do things the right way around here. And we, we, we spend an incredible amount of time with our guys, not just with basketball, but outside of it. And we value them as individuals. You know, and I'm very transparent with them. It's, it's up to you what you want to do. You want to be here. We want guys that want to be here. You know, and basketball is basketball. It doesn't matter, you know, where you go. It's how you play, how you want to impact the program. And, you know, I let those guys know I'm here for you for, for life. And I'm going to use me as a resource so we can talk and communicate. That's important. And, and that's what they're not getting from. I, I, can't, I can't speak to what happens at other schools. Um, some of it is the players and maybe some of it is the, is the programs. I, I, I don't know, but I just like to think that we do things the right way. We treat these guys right. And we put pressure on them to be successful in the classroom. We put pressure on them to be successful as, as 
basketball player. We put pressure on them to, you know, uh, have an impact on this surrounding community. And, and that's, that's, that's life. And, and I always tell them, you guys are going to be, you're going to be us one day. You're going to be coaches and, you know, do right by these kids. You know, we want to get you in here and get you better as a basketball player. We want to get you in here and, and get you graduated and get you ready for the next, you know, part of your life. And if that, that's what you're looking for. We got it here. We're going to nurture you the same way your mother or your father, or your aunt or your grandmother would. We're going to nurture you the same way. And just following up about, you know, you talked about practice. I mean, last summer you guys didn't have a, really much of a summer and it, and it kind of hurt you in terms of trying to blend in so many new pieces on the roster. Can you kind of take us through where things are now in terms of where, when you guys can start practicing again and, and what you'll be able to do now? Yeah, June uh, 14th when guys, you know, we got to wait for the uh, – I don't want to get started without the uh, younger guys. These guys just, you know, got open gym now and they're coming in and playing. Um, but June 14th when we get the younger guys, we want to be – you know, the development is going to be huge for us this summer. We didn't have an opportunity to develop the, those guys on the court. We didn't have the opportunity to get those guys in the weight room uh, in the summertime. So it's going to be important to us. We want to get started that second week of June and we're going, we're going to get after it. We just, you know, want to be competitive. Everything we do out on the floor from one-on-one to two-on-two to three-on-three to five-on-five, we're going to be competitive in how we're doing it. Uh, we want to defend at a high level. We want to make sure we're cleaning up that glass and just work on some fundamental stuff offensively, being able to make open shots, cutting hard and delivering passes and just getting back to being fundamentally sound. Those are the things that we're going to work on throughout the summer. Aaron, this might be thinking a little too far ahead into the future, but Jeremiah Williams, Damian Dunn, and Caleb Battle each proved last season that they can they can be legitimate backcourt threats in their own right. Where things stand now in May, have you given much thought to how you can play those three together and utilize each of their strengths to get the best backcourt you possibly can with those three? We, we talk about it, um, but those guys still got ways to go. Um, they, they, they all have to mature. They all have to mature and, and and just continue to get better and, and build off of it. I don't want those guys to relax. I think they haven't even scratched the surface on, on how good they could be. You know, Jeremiah is still a work in progress. Caliph, you know, he has to mature. He has to continue to, you know, he's a, a work in progress. You know, he sh shows some flashes offensively. But what I say to him, I don't worry about you on the offensive side. I want you to be a consistent defender for us and a consistent rebounder for us. I think he can be a eight to nine um, rebound per game guy for us. And he has to believe that. So those are the things he has to um, get better at it and, and be consistent with. And I think Dane, you know, for him, he has to get more consistent with his shooting. He does a wonderful job at getting to the free throw line and giving his body up and, you know, doing all those different things. So he has to get consistent with his shooting and the sky's the limit for him. But the biggest thing is those, those three guys using their voices. You know, they're young and you typically have a junior or senior that, that, that are your leaders. And, and those guys are going to have to assume some leadership responsibilities because they're, they're the returning players that played a lot of significant minutes for us last season. Aaron, I'm kind of curious how, how you feel now. If you're heading into your third season as a head coach and um, – you're, you're part of a group of guys and coaches like, like Penny Hardaway in your league and at Memphis and a guy like Juwan Howard at Michigan, where you guys played at elite levels in college and in the NBA, and now you're coaches. And I can't remember, maybe we've talked about this before. 
Um, I, I think one of the things that sometimes guys talk about is it's, it's sometimes hard to be patient because you want today's player to have the same approach you did and you want them to just kind of pick it up like you guys did as, and understand the game and it takes time and it takes patience. Where do you feel like you are with that as a head coach now heading into your third year? Because again, like not every coach had that lineage and not every coach took that path, but you guys did. How does that feel now heading into your third season as a head coach, where you feel like you are with that, with the patience, developing these guys and how you feel like you've just evolved as a head coach? You, you have to have patience because you're not going to, you know, guys are not going to respond the way I want them to respond right away. And it takes practice. It takes repetition and all of those things. It's things that I see. I'm like saying to myself, why can't this guy do this? Why, why, why is he doing it like that? And, and you catch yourself and you just, you have to be patient. You think about the, the three guys that we just talked about. Dame's a freshman. Jeremiah's a freshman uh, out of high school. Caleb played a little bit at, at Butler and he, we thrusted him in there. And, and, he, and we didn't have a summer with these guys. Nick Jordan, Quincy Adam McCoy. We didn't have a summer with these guys. And I'm asking them to jump in a college game and play at a high level and, and have some experience and some understanding. It just, it, it don't work like that. And so you realize as a coach that the game has changed where you had the luxury of being patient and watching kids stay in your program and grow and develop. And now the kids have no patience. And so when things are not going their way, they up and they out. So it's like you're asked as a coach to be patient. We're on the other side of it. The kids don't have to be. So it's a game of tug of war that we're playing, coach versus player, player versus coach. And you have to find that, that fine line in between of balance, of <laughs> mentally, you know, talking to these guys and getting these guys to understand. It's a, it's a, you have to have patience. It's a waiting game. Your turn is going to come. And when your turn comes, Let's make sure you're ready. And how you get ready is by spending that time in the gym, getting with the coaches, practicing hard, playing hard, all those different things. They think, again, I go back, they think because they was the best player in their high school team or they were the best player in the AAU team. Once they arrive on campus, it's, it's about them, and it's not. And guys are not willing to be patient. We have to find the ones that are patient and that want to be coached and that want to get better every day. And those are the ones that go on to have great careers. And if they're lucky enough, they'll go on to be able to play basketball at the highest level. And we have uh, a few quick mailbag questions here from readers to close things out. And again, we really appreciate you taking time for us. This has been fun. Uh, first question. These are screen names from our message board here. Uh, the first one is from West Coast Al. His question is, do you believe the identity of the roster and your vision is starting to take shape? I like to think so. Um, we, we, we're still a work in progress, but, you know, we're getting there. And I want to be a tough, physical, in-your-face team that's that's playing with, with good pace out there and, and good toughness. And and as I always tell the guys, the, 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 the sign of a, of a good team is when the, the team shake your hand and say, man, you guys play hard and, you know, you guys are well coached and, that's a sign of, of respect, win, lose, or draw. And that's that's where we're trying to get, where coaches and teams look at us and say, man, those guys get out there and they get after it and they play hard. And and hopefully that's that's who I was as a player, a selfless, just a hard, you know, hard playing dude that, that you know, enjoyed playing the game, was passionate about the game. 
And that's where I want to get these guys at. That's why I don't want to get this program to. Next question from uh, the screen name is Park Al. This is a funny one. His question is, how many players on the current roster could you beat in a pickup game? <laughs> All of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Probably, right? Do you guys, do you uh, yeah, guys ever... Do they ever play in one-on-one? Do they ever say, hey, coach, do they ever just toss the ball to you? Yeah, I don't, I don't get out there and, and mess around with those guys. I used to go to the other gym when, when we wasn't restricted with COVID. I would go play at lunchtime from time to time, and that was just for me to get out there and get some conditioning in. But I always talk trash to the guys. I don't get out there and mess around with them, man. I, I leave that alone. <laughs> uh, final question here. The screen name is what, what to you. We, we talked a little about Jaleel White earlier. His question is, if Jaleel White didn't get hurt, how much playing time do you think he would have gotten this season? We've talked to Jimmy and, and Chris about this, and they were both you know, really high on him and said that he, he really was showing you guys a lot in, in preseason before he, he retore his meniscus. How much do you think he would have played if he hadn't gotten hurt? I thought he would have played a significant amount of minutes for us because he was, <clears throat> before he got hurt, he, was, he had some stretches where he was our best player. And, and he... And not only on the offensive end, but on the defensive end. He was our best player. He just came in and played with energy and effort every day. And that's really what you want. And that's what he provides. So if he, you know, get himself healthy and he's doing that um, come fall when we start uh, practicing, then he'll be playing a lot. Aaron, final question for you. At the beginning of the interview, you said you were looking forward to opening, having things open back up. Give me a give me a restaurant or a place that you're looking forward to going back to once things can really start opening up. Is there a restaurant that you've been looking forward to going to that you miss or anywhere around you or anything you're just looking forward to doing outside of basketball once things open up this summer or hopefully open up this summer? Well, it's a it's it's a steakhouse that's downtown I didn't get a chance to go to because of COVID. Steak 48. Some mm-hmm. of my friends have been telling me about it. They've been really talking about it. And really, I don't go out much to eat. Um, mm-hmm. but it's always like a date night sort of thing I can do with my wife and we can mm-hmm. just go out and, and, you know, act as adults, go get a nice dinner and go people watch and stuff like that. We <laughs> haven't had the opportunity to do that. <laughs> one, Aaron, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much uh, for taking time for us. And, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get down to the, to the, to the facility at some point and, and see you guys work out. But, uh, thanks a lot. We really appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for having me guys. A right, big thank you to Aaron McKee for, for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, a lot of good stuff there, guys. What are your takeaways from the conversation? Um, I can take it first. I think uh, it was interesting. I mean, obviously got a lot of great Sixers stuff from him, um, but just to narrow in on kind of what we heard from him about his current team. And it's kind of a weird point between a couple months removed from their COVID ridden season. And he, as he mentioned about a month out until he can really see his players and get back at the gym again with them right now, it's just a lot of those guys playing pickup with each other and getting in the gym together. So he doesn't have a great, I don't want to say not a great sense of his team. But like he hasn't seen those guys play in a while and he hasn't seen their improvement. So, um, but just to hear from him about like how guys like Emmanuel Como are going to come in and fill a role defensively his defense ahead of his offense. Some things we've heard and some things that are just interesting to hear from the head coach about how he'll fit in, how he fills a role in that front court. Same thing with uh, him kind of giving a quick scouting report on both Sear Miller and Zach Hicks. He said Zach Hicks could really pleasantly surprise a lot of people. And as we've heard a thousand times, Sear Miller really brings a, that Philly toughness. And his way of getting onto the court is going to be with his defense, is going to be his grit. He can defend his position. Um, and so he'll probably kind of maybe take on second, third string 
point guard minutes behind Jeremiah Williams and find his way onto the floor. But just to hear him give kind of like a quick scouting report between the three new guys, Emmanuel Pomo, Nasir Miller, and Zach Hicks. Because I think for the most part, that was the first time we really heard him talk about them. Definitely the first for Emmanuel, and he's kind of just touched on Nasir and Zach before. So I thought that was interesting to hear from Aaron. Yeah, sticking on the topic of the current roster, I mean, the fact of what we heard Aaron talk about Jaleel White, how he was their best player is, is pretty significant. I mean, you're hoping as a Temple fan that Jaleel White can come back healthy from a torn meniscus and kind of be that Swiss Army knife for them, somebody who can cover, you know, pretty much one through four on, on the court and, and be able to – he's a guy who can, you know, play with the ball in his hands or – play off ball so and and sounds like he's already developing as, as a defender and I mean you've seen Sam I'm sure has you know we all have seen some clips of him working out so far so um, that's that's encouraging to hear I mean it's disappointing that you know Jaleel didn't get to play his freshman year but um, your hope is that he comes back healthy and I mean we've heard assistant coaches like Chris Clark and, and Jimmy Fenery talk about Jaleel White but that was the first time we heard that you know they pretty much Aaron pretty much significantly said that he was the best player out there in practice so um, that's that's definitely encouraging to hear if you're a Temple fan. I thought it was also interesting when I when I asked him about when I asked him about Jaleel and Sage and how that changes the lineup. And he he said, you know, I, I wanted to play a little faster, and I was hesitant to do that this season because you know they they didn't have the time to truly prepare the way they wanted to. So it'll be interesting to see if that's really truly the case this year. If they get uh, the summer that they want, he talked about how uh, starting on June 14th which is incidentally my, my birthday, not that anybody cares, uh, that, that he said he didn't want to um, start working out without the new guys. But if they really get things to where they want them to be, you know, if they, if they will, it'll be interesting to see if they do play a little faster, like, like he wanted to. And, um, you know, again, they'll have some size, like we talked about with Emmanuel Ocpomo, but it'll be interesting to see if they, if they do kind of open things up that way. And he talked about how you know, the, the American is a man's league and you got to be able to to match that. And so getting a guy like Akpomo could potentially help them out. And, you know, of course, for anybody, you know, my age or in that age range, again, things are kind of intersecting now where the, the Sixers are, they think they have a chance to get back to the finals. We'll, we'll see. They're obviously a different team without some of their key pieces on the floor. Sam's given a thumbs down because he's a Celtics fan and uh, Carolina Sam is a, is a Nets fan. So, um, you know, the Sixers are trying to close things out and, and, and clinch that number one seed. And they, they feel like they have, again, the, the, the best shot to get back to the finals in, in 20 years. And again, Aaron was a big part of that team. It was just a, it was just a fun time in the city. You guys were what one at the time. Were you guys born two, two years old at the time, just your whole lives were ahead of you. Just, just bright eyes, bright futures. ahead. I remember that 01 finals vividly. Yeah. We went on a tear. Yep. AI stepped yeah. over Ty Lue. Yeah. Sitting, sitting at your father's <laughs> foot, just watching <laughs> on TV. There's a, blankly, my dad did not watch that fun, those finals. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, th those of you who are listening and remember that, you, you know, it was just a, a really fun time in this town. And, uh, you know, Aaron's details about, his time with Alan were, were, of course, great. I think anybody loves to, to hear that stuff. And I think it's always cool to hear him open up. And it, he's talked about it before. Like, you know, you'd, you'd think that when he first got the news that he was going to be traded, he's like, oh, great, I'm coming home. And he was like, well, no, you know, I'm not sure I want to go home. And he didn't know quite what he was walking into. And Aaron was one of those transformative pieces. Obviously, Alan was the big one, but uh, just always cool to hear him 
reflect on that. We hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Uh, we've got some other basketball stuff to, to get to. Um, Sam's got some uh, recruiting information here. You're hoping to talk to one of their uh, class of 2023 recruiting targets, right? Yes. Um, it's supposed to be catching up with Ramir Barno uh, this afternoon. He's a 5'10", 5'11", point guard at a class 2023 from uh, Imatep Charter, also plays for Team Final um, in the AAU circuit. So he holds an offer in the class 2023. And as we've mentioned before in this pod, his teammate, both at Imatep and Team Final, Justin Edwards, also holds an offer from Temple. Um, as far as I know, Ramir's offers consist of a couple – uh, local schools. I believe it's like LaSalle, Drexel Temple, I think Hofstra, and one more that I'm blanking on right now that's a bigger offer. But um, yeah, for the most part, a lot of local offers. And uh, so hoping to talk to him later today so you can keep your eyes out for a story on that hopefully in the next couple of days. And then on the football recruiting front, yeah, we've talked about how uh, in previous weeks, you know, Rod Carey said a couple of weeks ago that they weren't going to stop looking around in the transfer portal. And I, I think he said it's a mix of looking for the best player available, but also that they would look to add guys on both lines. And they got a verbal commitment from Richard Rodriguez yesterday. We're recruiting, uh, recruiting, recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, so yesterday they got a verbal commitment from Richard Rodriguez. He's a 6'5", 315-pound offensive lineman from Iowa Central Community College. He committed to Temple over offers from schools like Southern Miss, Akron, Middle Tennessee, UAB, uh, he'll have three years of eligibility left. He was named to the NJCAA All-American team in 2019 and the College Football America's 2020 preseason All-American team. Um, a pretty, uh, I guess, would think it's a significant addition for the team, right, Sam? What do you think about this? Yeah, it's it's a pretty significant addition just from the depth standpoint, but also, as Kyle had mentioned previously, they could have an entire new starting offensive line next year because each guy can can leave. I mean, I Isaac Moore just graduated, Joseph Hooper, C.J. Perez, and Michael Neese are all done after this year, and then maybe you know Adam Klein also is is done after. You don't you don't know. So adding somebody like Rodriguez, who obviously has starting experience elsewhere, I mean, it is at the junior college level, but I mean that can't be discounted. Both C.J. Perez and Joseph Hooper came from the junior college level and, and now look that they're they're starting at the division one so um level so maybe rodriguez is a guy that can be that you know sixth or seventh offensive lineman for them and then also provide some some depth this year for for a unit that you know has seen a lot of turnover and and um has experienced his fair share of injuries and then maybe next year he can compete and and, and potentially be a starter for them down the road that's that's definitely what they have to offer for him and, and three years of eligibility is is big time for them, especially because the offensive line is such a position of need for this team uh, going forward. Just, I mean, this season you can look at it as something that's like, okay, it's a cherry on top with, with, we have all this starting experience coming back, but like going forward, that offensive line is going to be a big need for them. So yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great pickup for, well, I mean, I can't really say that, but I think in terms of depth and, and what he offers to the table, it's, it, it's a good pickup for them. So uh, Sam's reached out to him and hopefully we'll have a story. Uh, on Richard Rodriguez uh, coming up soon for you guys. And also we, we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, nothing new here, nothing. Well, it's a new development, but nothing that wasn't expected. Jake Landry was named uh, as Temple's quarterbacks coach. He uh, replaces Craig Harmon, the departed uh, Craig Harmon in that position. Uh, so again, we expected this. I know some fans were hoping that Adam DeMichael was going to be the guy, but Jake Landry was uh, named to that position as expected. And, 
looked like it was being met with some positive reviews on social media. We haven't uh, been able to talk to anybody yet. You know, Rod Carey issued a statement about it and said, you know, uh, we weren't expecting this development uh, a while back. But um, again, he played uh, at North Dakota when Rod Carey was on the staff there and, uh, you know, followed him over from Northern Illinois. So um, that is now official. So um, that'll do it for this week. Again, a huge thank you to Aaron McKee for joining us this week and uh, for just taking as much time as he did to reflect on that, that Sixer season from 20 years ago and his time in winning the NBA six man of the year award. And of course gave us some, some great details on what could be on the horizon for this year's temple squad. So uh, thank you to him. Thank you as always to, to the two Sam's here, Carolina, Sam and Boston, Sam, Boston, Sam is up uh, back home for a little while and is going to head to Fenway tonight. Right. Very excited. My first, I guess I was saying my first sporting event in a while, but like I've been to a handful of Temple basketball games and a couple of Temple football games. So I guess it doesn't really count. My first professional sporting event as a fan will be tonight. Red Sox A's, best team in baseball. I'm well, quite excited. Your first one since COVID, not your first ever, right? <laughs> yes, my first since before COVID. All right, I had to give you a hard time. <laughs> Sam, it's just- and, my first, and my first since I'm 21. Take that for what you will. So Sam will be will be hanging out and, and celebrating responsibly tonight, of course, as he enters the, the Fenway section of the city. Sam, close things out here. Tell people what it's like as we turn this now into a baseball podcast un, uh, unknowingly. What is it like? I know it sounds cheesy, but what, what's it like going to a game at Fenway? It's a trip. Uh, so usually I take the subway or um, the T in and like, you walk out, there's like six dunks and then cross the David Ortiz bridge. And then you're kind of like in this, I mean, I've only been to a certain amount of ballparks, so I can't tell you how, how it compares to every other ballpark, but um, you walk in and you just kind of like have that feeling of like, I, don't, I it's like indescribable. It's just, I am not the biggest baseball fan in the world. I like, I love the Red Sox. I enjoy casually watching, uh, baseball on tv here and there i get more into it as the red sox are good but i love 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 going to fenway something about the environment something about the space is just incredible you kind of have that feeling and when they sing sweet caroline between the seventh and eighth inning like it's just nothing beats it it's just it's something in the air something in the air is just great are you crying <laughs> i'm about to if you want me to i will <laughs> <laughs> just like throw the hands at you just cry sam Every similar Similar city. Si- watches Fever Pitch. Exactly. Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch. Field, fever Pitch. Field of Dreams, and actually going to a Red Sox game. The only, uh, the only things that will make me truly, truly cry. The Carolina's- only thing about Fenway, though, is that in the outfield, I so the last couple of times I've been like on the first or third base line, but the last time I went, maybe like two or three years ago, the last time that was the last time I sat in the grandstands in the outfield, and the seats because they haven't really remodeled much are like negative leg room really squished together but because that's where i'm sitting i'm sitting on right field tonight but because it's limited capacity my assumption is we can like put our legs over the seat in front of us or like stretch out a little bit because there's not going to be anybody near us similar uh city field vibes sam i can't i mean i've been to both fenway and city field i can't say that they're all that similar i mean like fenway is like walking into like historic museum i mean you just feel it when you're in there City Field is, I don't know. It, it, they're both different vibes. I mean, it's also, I feel like you get different vibes from National League and, and American League. 
We only have we only have Carolina Sam with us for a few more weeks. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about it. Sam, no, Sam graduated. He's going to be moving no. on to his, moving on to his new Let's job. Let's over that until we have to talk about it. Yeah, we'll keep we'll just keep kicking that can on down the road until we have to to pick it up. Face reality. Sam was irrationally upset about what? What movie were you irrationally upset about the other night? Five hundred days of summer. Yeah, and I told what I told you to chill out and watch Notting Hill, right? You should watch Notting Hill. It's a, a great I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll get great rom com. You're a big Oasis fan. I'm thinking late '90s London vibes. Hugh Grant, Julia Roberts. I think you'll like it. You know, a movie I watched that I really, really liked yesterday. What's that? When I, when I came home, like my parents, I were to watch a movie, and I they were like, "All right, Sam, you pick the movie." And I gave them maybe ten or fifteen, but like every movie, they were like, "Yep, we've seen it. Yep, we've seen it." I'm like, "All right, whatever." So I ended up watching it. By myself the next day it's called news of the world with tom hanks it was up for an oscar i think fantastic i have not fantastic. seen it subplot is journalistic objectivity and journalistic integrity but as a whole the movie is really really good and tom hanks is killer yeah i haven't so, i haven't I seen highly, it highly highly recommend news of the world is tom hanks tom wicked good in it tom hanks is wicked good in it. <laughs> wicked good so hopefully sam will throw a few wickets around tonight and this accent will uh will come out and when we record next week's podcast he will sound unrecognizable to us it'll be ridiculous by next week i'm (laughs) here for a week it comes out more when i'm like with my home friends or i start to say wicked a lot more when i'm with my home friends sam were you ever confused as a child with accents between like north jersey and then the south that ever mess with you or did you just kind of adjust Uh, seamlessly it's adjust i mean sometimes you can't like um, I mean, sometimes people have like thick Southern accents you can't understand, but like uh, I like vary between the two, I guess. Like uh, my Southern twang will come out sometimes. My brother has lived in North Carolina for most of his life. We moved when he was three, so he'll say like theater and stuff like that. But mm. I, I don't get, I don't, I don't do that. Um, I, I think my my accents a mix of both. Um, my parents have more Northern accents, obviously. I mean, my mom's, you can hear her New York accent when it comes out, but, but we have kind of like a mix of both at this point. So I, I, I don't know, vary between the two. Do you think a, a, do you think a month on the beat with Clemson insider is going to change you to, to the point where like, we hear you speak again, we're going to be like, Oh my God, what happened to him? <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I don't know what you're going to be like talking. Like I have molasses in my mouth or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or, just just continue, uh, or continue to listen to, to the Gallagher brothers in Oasis. And then that'll just really, just be a, a nice blend of, of everything. Talking about two opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, you need you need subtitles. You need subtitles to, to understand the, the Gallagher brothers. So anyway, uh, again, a big thank you to all of you for uh, tuning in once again this week. And a big thank you to Aaron McKee for joining us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Take care.